Hello and welcome to Arrest on the Mix. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the original thinking and creative innovation podcast. Who's more motivated than I am? It wouldn't be very difficult this week. Um, wow. Talk about a slow start. Do you know just one of them weeks? Pretty brutal kind of... Oh, not really getting out of the traps. Sitting there, just clicking away, looking at bullshit. Twitter, Instagram. Email a client, send an invoice... What I've actually done by lunchtime. Ah, hate these days. But here I am recording this show, so things are picking up. Things picking up actually for the show. Great numbers. Um, loads of new people. Last couple of weeks, a whole raft of new people just discovering the show. I don't know where it's been shared or how that's come about, but maybe I should. Anyway, the weather is oxidizing Heinz soup. Yes, I'm a real. Uh, classic artist in that respect. I've got a whole collection of Onken pots and Heinz soup cans and ugh, old Tupperware tubs that people have thrown my direction when they're having clear outs, uh, each with its own nasty bit of decaying ink or unwashed brushes sat in ugh, stagnant water. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this stuff. But there you go, I'm giving you a little window into my world because I guess that's what this bit's all about. Um, Quick thanks to my sponsors before we get on to our guest today, the wonderful Rebecca Hendon, BuzzFeed in-house illustrator. She's awesome, but we'll get to that shortly. Illustration Limited, founding sponsor, the people who helped me get the show off the ground. Great illustration agency representing over 200 different artists worldwide, dealing with live art, lettering specialists, large-scale muralists, um, it's got all going on. Go and check out the website, illustrationweb.com. Great people uh, working with some great initiatives too, helping to protect the industry with the SAA and the AOI, those governing bodies in our wonderful illustration world. So go and check them out. They're very, very cool. Heartinternet.co.uk, my tech sponsor. Um, they give us a little digital tip each week. They deal with SEO, social media advice, um, web hosting, domain names, all the things you need to have that essential web presence. Um, So Rebecca Hendon, like I said today, coming up, BuzzFeed's in-house illustrator, doing a really interesting, dynamic job. There aren't too many illustration in-house roles, which we will discuss on the show, but it's really worth going and checking out BuzzFeed's visual narrative. I think the way they use illustration and cartoons, political cartoons, to tell their stories is really quite... It's unique in its own way and it's really quite engaging and it gives people a laugh and the sort of countdown articles that they do, which I'm a fan. It's good stuff and Rebecca has a big handle on doing that. Um, So we're going to talk all about that role today, but just have a look at it, you know, and look at the importance of using impactful imagery, essentially, and the way it's done and the way it's topical and the way it's relevant. You can do that in your own kind of social media quite quickly and quite effectively if you just think about... Staying relevant and engaging with people and being quite topical and of the minute. So that's just a little something to think about, courtesy of my brilliant sponsor, heartinternet.co.uk and printed.com. They do my printing, the show's printing, they do over 90 different products, matte, gloss, finishes, you name it, all sorts of cool stuff going on, personalisation, foiling, concertinas, uh, great customer service, top people, and they provide a nice print tip every episode also. So I was down at New Blood. It was awesome. DNA D's uh, graduate sort of expo exhibition show going on. 
what I was impressed with is how savvy students have become now. And I know they've got the technological things at their fingertips to implement that. But I just can't help but look back at my own sorry state in 2006 when I graduated with um, bad, you know, bad postcards with the edges cut off, badly cropped, all that kind of stuff. And it was pretty daunting coming out into the industry, but I'm sure it's the same for these guys. In fact, I know it is, having spoken to a few of them. They are presenting themselves really effectively these days, and there was a whole range of interesting methods in which they were doing that, you know, from the presentation of their degree show itself to the... Uh, newspapers, for example, from uh, Plymouth University. They'd, they'd done everyone's work in its own individual newspaper, so it looked like a uniform show that was really quite impressive and attracting a lot of eyes when we were down there doing the judging. Um, some great fold-out booklets going on, some lovely business cards, some simple, some more complex, all with their own flavour. So it's just a little just a little nudge, you know, make sure you're there too. If you're coming into the industry or, or you know, if you're well into the industry, if you're experienced, don't forget about looking good. Something you can leave in someone's hands and a little takeaway. It's just, uh, it's kind of important. And I was just, uh, just thought it was worth a mention. These guys were really kind of up and at them. And um, if they can keep that kind of attitude going on into the industry, then they're going to do great things. Um, a little quick thank you to the Association of Illustrators for their ongoing support. Um, I went to Lawrence King Publishing last week to talk to Lawrence himself and uh, Head of Children's Elizabeth Jenner to talk about the wonderful Hello Nature by Nina Chakrabarti. Um, I did that in conjunction with the AOI, did a little piece for them separately uh, for their upcoming World Illustration Awards 2017. Uh, great stuff. Hello Nature is a wonderful little book and it was really eye-opening and, and a great story to talk to Lawrence King about the journey of his publisher. Started in 1991. Well, that's coming up very, very soon, an, uh, an episode in its own right. So, yeah, cheers to them guys for their support. So... Without further ado, Rebecca Hendon joins me. Um, she's got one hell of a journey, and Rebecca's a, a brilliant character, as I'm sure you'll agree when you hear the, the conversation coming up soon. Very vibrant character, very honest, very frank about her journey, coming from the American Midwest to live in London. She's been here for a little while now, doing amazing work. We talk about many, many different things. She talks about why it's important to just walk around London without a real agenda uh, quite regularly. It's something she does, and she'll talk about why and how that influences her creative work. We'll talk about her political cartoons on BuzzFeed and why they've become quite iconic and a real flavour of uh, what BuzzFeed are actually doing. Rebecca, uh, I mentioned at AOI a little while back, that she was a winner of the New Talent Award in 2015 and then subsequently shortlisted in 2016 and this year's 2017 awards. She's just got a brilliant story and a real inspiring attitude and we're going to get right under the skin of that and what it's like to work as an in-house illustrator in something that is quite a rare role. So I think you're going to enjoy what she's got to say. There's some great stories in there as well, some great kind of circumstantial accidents that happened to get her from one step on the ladder to the next but we look at the philosophy of that and why she did spread her wings a lot in terms of putting her work in front of people and starting the conversations and and just being a little bit cheeky and kind of you know reaching out to the people she knew that could connect her with bigger entities and and how she's just forged her own path really and how she made things happen uh, in her own way so you know, we talk about working at home freelance and how that wasn't for uh, Rebecca and how she found that quite mentally destructive. Please do let me know your thoughts when you've had the chance to listen at Arrest All the Mix on the Twitter or hello at bentallon.com on the email. We've got all sorts coming up soon, which we'll talk about a little later on in the show. But a uh, quick 
And an extra thanks to the sponsors, printed.com, heartinternet.co.uk, and illustrationweb.com. Get me your feedback. I'm going to stop banging on. I've been going on too long today. Like I told you, motivation is not the greatest. So I'm going to hand over to Rebecca, who will provide you with some if you're lagging like me. I'm, I'm, from, uh, I'm from a city called St. Louis, which is in the Midwest, in okay. the state of Missouri. Um, not that many people even in the U.S. outside of the Midwest often have heard of it, so it's pretty surprising when someone here has heard of it, but it's about a thousand miles from the closest coast, I think, and it's not particularly notable for... I think the thing it's been most famous for in the last five or ten years is it's where Ferguson is, where um, sort of the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement happened because of the police shooting of the guy. Okay. So that is the most famous thing that's happened there probably in the last decade. Also, yeah. Nelly is from there. Um, but yeah, it's pretty... I hated it there. I really yeah. hated growing up there, yeah. How come? Because um, it was pretty... My experience of it was that it was more or less devoid of anything interesting, which yeah. I defined as arts or culture or just what felt like a, like a, like a future that I could actually work towards and have anything yeah. in. So I always wanted to, from, from the time I was old enough to conceptualize the thought I wanted to get out, and I did. I, um, I left when I was 18, just after high school, and I moved to the Bay Area in California and yeah. spent a couple of years there and I had wanted to go there not because I, I ended up going to art school there but I didn't when, when I started dreaming about moving there it wasn't for art because I was like I'm not going to go to college man like fuck the system I'm not doing any of this like <laughs> I'm, it, sort of I mean I had like a fairly rocky like go of it from when I was in my like early like pre-teens onward just because of like family stuff and life stuff and so I was like I'm going to move there because that's where like punk music that I like is from yeah. I'm going to go hang out on Gilman Street at the punk club there and I'm just going to like do whatever but then um, when I was in my last year of high school or my second last year of high school um, I had a really good art teacher who took me to an art college fair and was like look there is a thing called art school because I had never heard of that that was not a thing where I was from there are no artists in my family yeah. um, I had no idea this was even an option and she was like go talk to these people at these stalls at this fair find out about art school and I did and then eventually like at the very end of high school I applied to one. I chose the one that was in the Bay Area and had a paper application because I didn't have a computer. So the one that would just accept me like writing to them and sending my slides, my physical wow, slides of okay. my artwork yeah, as an application yeah. and got in and then just went to California. Okay, so, yeah. no, so no real inclination prior to that? You, did you draw as a kid? Were there, were there any yeah. kind of roots? I mean, I, like, I doodled loads. I doodled yeah. all over my schoolwork and um, like pretty much never stopped drawing and then in high school when they offered art classes took those and stuff but I just didn't know that it was a viable career I had no I never heard of illustration I didn't I don't think I'd heard of illustration until I actually got to art school because I just went to art school Me neither. yeah wow really yeah same thing you, I think it, the same as you like I did it as a kid I did it a lot but I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know yeah. that anyone did that for a living. You know, yeah. you don't put the, you don't join the dots, which makes me sad that that's st- st- kind of still be an issue for kids now. You know, oh, I can completely imagine. Like, I would hope. Well, you, you kind of imagine. It's hard to tell because you think, well, you've got the internet now, so they can probably go on the internet and find out all these things. But you know, the way people are on the internet, they still end up just you know going into their own spaces and finding out things that they already know to yeah. look for. Yes. And so you probably still wouldn't find the option of becoming an illustrator if you weren't introduced to that in some way through your life. So did you find? Um, did it, did it feel like a sort of, what's the right word, did it feel like a revelation, did it 
given just what you've said about not much culture going on where you're from yeah getting to art college did that did that open did that open doors for you as a, as a person yeah I think so you know it's, it's always hard to look back at like chunks of your life or moments in your life or things that happen and try and like build it into a narrative where you figure out like yeah. what exactly led to what um, without knowing if you're just contriving it from what you think should have happened <laughs> but of course I mean it must have I, I think that I went there and I did the first year and you do in America you just do four year degrees um, I, I ended up transferring to finish here but that sort of happened later so I went on this four year course and I transferred out two and a half years in but in the time that I spent the two and a half years I spent at this place California College of the Arts I had some of the most amazing professors teachers tutors that I've ever had in my life and once I, I, I can't remember how I decided to go on to the illustration program. I imagine it was a conversation with someone in the first year when you're, you know, having to pick your major. And I was like, what's the one where you draw? And they were like, illustration. I was like, brilliant, I'll be doing that one then. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I mean, I had some of the teachers that I had there, I'll just, I'll never, I'll never forget them. I had this guy called Baron Story, who is this really prolific, amazing illustrator who's been working for years, does just some of the most beautiful artwork. And he's also one of the most beautiful teachers that I think a lot of students have ever had. He's got this whole kind of like um, group of, I mean not group because it's not like a cohesive group of them, but all these people who have had him often will, you know, talk about him years later and go back to visit him and just talk about what an amazing, amazing educator he was. And he particularly stands out, but there were so many. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it, that when you look back and you see the links, you see these this kind of almost a chain of people, important people, yeah. uh, that, that for whatever reason came into your life and kind of brought a new idea or just, yeah. I, I don't know, just something. You know, I, I, I'm, I feel blessed with that myself. Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a combination of, well, I suppose it's different for everybody, what works for them, but for me it was definitely a combination of people who are really kind, really caring, and just brilliant and smart and amazing at what they do. And they make you believe that because they're out there, that you know you can take part in that to some degree and that you can be that person, or not yeah. that person, you can learn from that and do all of those things at once too. Yeah. So, did you stay in the Bay Area? I did for those two and a half years. Um, I got there, it would have been late 2006, and I stayed there. <laughs> Amazing. I love this show. <laughs> Special guest. <laughs> um, yeah, I stayed there until uh, January 6th, 2009, which is when I moved here. And I moved here on a complete whim. I like had never been to England. I knew one guy who lived in Brighton that I met when I was interrailing by myself the summer before. I had just like gone off on a thing. I'd gone to Europe for the first time and had studied uh, art history in Italy and then had taken the opportunity to go and interrail around for a couple of months on my own after that. So yeah, I knew the Brighton guy. <laughs> but that was it and I just got it in my head. I'd, I'd had this very strange year in 2008 where um, at risk of sounding particularly morbid, a bunch of people I knew died. Okay. And so I just got this and I was like, I'm super mortal and I like, you know, everything's gonna end and I've got, you know, like no time to get everything done and I've gotta go do things quickly and I've gotta go do them now and so fucking then I Google searched art schools in London. <laughs> Cause that was the thing I decided I was well, gonna do like right now. Have, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's not morbid, it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I mean, it, yeah, but I think, you know, as soon as you start to like bring death into it or something, it starts to sound like you're being quite morbid, but actually it's just a big drive to do the things One of the you want to do. drivers for eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had much experience with that? No, not firsthand, but it's, it's a recurring theme in a lot of projects I'm involved with and yeah. people that I know. And yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think once it hits somebody, it just never really goes away. Mm. And I think the younger it hits you as well, the more it becomes this ever-present part of your life where you, you never really stop thinking about it yeah. in a way. 
um, and it can either be really crushing or it can be really motivating. And I was like crushed for a little while when things were happening, but really quickly started to turn it around into like making stuff. I made this whole when I was going through that period, I made this whole like graphic novel that I wrote the entire thing in rhyme, like in rhyming couplets, wow. and then like illustrated it and sort of did that, and then did the Google search where I was like, I'm gonna find out what art schools are in London, and the first one that comes up. It's called Central St. Martin's, so I was like, that one. I've never heard of it, but I'm going to go there. Yeah. And so I got online at this point. I had a computer and applied and got in, <laughs> and then just left a couple of months later, and I thought I would stay for seven months. I was going to do, like, a study abroad, but it's been eight and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Wow, okay. And you still, and now you find that you still love London? Yeah, I love it so much. It's like the city that never stops giving. It's so interesting. And you can you can discover all these different layers of it. You know, it's yeah. whether it's the people or whether it's the streets or the buildings or what there is to do here. Whatever your hobby is, you know, you can find that. Yeah. You find a place for that here. Yeah. It just, it. It's just ever-evolving, isn't it? And there's yeah. always something happening. There's always something exciting and then there's no end to it. Yeah. Like you could never exhaust it. Absolutely. You know that really cliched phrase, if you're tired of London, you're tired yeah. of life. You know, oh, it's, it's true. It's fucking true, yeah. It's completely true, yeah. It's just a... Uh, could sit here all day trying to think of like romantic expressions to describe it but it's just yeah it's just deep and it's there's so much creative fuel here yeah. for what we do yeah you know? and just and i think because uh, and on a very on, on the level of just the, the city itself there is i mean you have all the things that are actually happening all the you know creative events and exhibitions and plays and everything happening and that's all great but then even just walking through the city which is something that I spend a lot of time doing yeah. I walk obsessively for hours every day Yeah. and I just like how much there is to see it's like watching the theatre of life happen before you every time you walk outside Yeah. and you can look at so many different levels you can look at like how the tops of the buildings look or you can look at people's faces you can just listen and that's becoming a rarer thing because everyone's got their head at 90 degrees now looking at their phone I know and it makes me sad because uh, someone who does projects based around exactly what you said there about just being out and about and, and, and picking up on the little nuances of the city or anywhere wherever I am no walk is boring anymore since I started that project it's like it makes me appreciate the tiniest bit of graffiti and kebab carton you know it's yeah. just it doesn't matter what it is but it makes me sad when people are missing all of that stuff going on around them and yeah. do you feel that does that fuel your own ideas and, and the way you operate as a creative I think in a, in a less linear way it does. You know, I'm not someone who at least right now in my career is doing really that much reportage or any direct drawing from it. Yeah. And because by the time I'm finished with work each day anyway, you know, it's dark out and so it's not huge, it's not a huge call to go sit, you know, somewhere and, and draw at that point. Yeah. Um, but as far as the indirect influence, absolutely. Yeah. Because I wouldn't know, I've, I've found in my life that, you know, I'm... I'm like many creative people and just many people like quite emotional and quite um, you know prone to like depressions and stuff like that but the way that I can keep it balanced so that I can create is to do things like spend two hours of my day walking around yeah it like it releases just enough energy because I don't exercise at all besides that so it releases just enough energy and it releases just enough like tension and allows me to feel connected to the place I'm in so that I can just get on with doing the thing that I do during the day which is drawing yeah yeah Yeah, I completely agree and that's that's totally the way I meant in in the sense that if you're just feeding the subconscious mind and Mm -hmm. taking in all these things and then maybe giving it time to digest and then that's for me that's where the idea that's what keeps you fresh and your ideas keep coming you know yeah because you need you need that that little thing in your heart that like jumps you out of bed in the morning and there's a whole different combination of I mean or that makes you want to create as well but first you have to get out of bed in the morning I guess (laughs) yeah John Lennon 
Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need to, like, maybe I need to get more into performance art. <laughs> Where's my Yoko? <laughs> um, so, yeah. wait, so, what were your, so what were your steps on? What were your steps to being an illustrator, to, to, to making the jump? From studying illustration to being illustrator? Yeah, illustrator? Did, you, did, you take, did you take time? No, I went into it right away. Yeah. I'm really, I'm, like, singularly minded. And so I was very lucky that when I was studying in California, a large part of that degree course involved giving us tips on how to be a professional illustrator. Nothing as in-depth as here's how you do your taxes. They might have done that in like the fourth year when I wasn't there anymore. Because yeah, yeah. by the time I transferred over here, I, I ended up on this completely, like, such a St. Martin's. I, I, the BA course when I was doing it, BA graphic design with the umbrella of illustration, or like umbrellaing out to like four different colors, I did illustration, um, was like really conceptual and completely unguided and you show up once a week if you want and have a crit and like there's nobody tells you what to do at any point nobody even tells you to be there and I don't know how I would have handled that if I hadn't had the two and a half years of like rigorous American art school where you have like five classes a week you have to hit your credit hours and then a lot of them are technical classes where you learn color theory and you learn um, observational drawing and you do have a reportage class and you learn narrative illustration and then you have a different narrative illustration class and then wow. you know you life drawing like every week of very your, interesting yeah and it was really helpful and they did the business stuff there too a bit where they were like you know this is how you, you need to do postcards you need to do this you need to be emailing people and um and so by the time i got here i had all that in my mind and i was wondering why we weren't doing that in class i I was pretty precocious. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word. I was definitely like motivated. So I'd go to my teacher after class and be like, why are we not having like a business section? Like I know how to do the American side of business, but like why are we not learning the British one here? I want to know how to do this. And he's a like, question. It was a, he was like, don't worry about it. Just like focus on your concepts. And I was like, okay, cool. Then I'm just going to figure this out on my own anyway. So I started, um, I, I started getting in touch with people. I, I, uh, there, was, there was this publishing company that I, I can't remember how I ended up in touch with them but they were called Lion's Den and they did the inserts inside of the Guardian and the Telegraph and the Economist okay. and so I started talking to the people there and I started working regularly for them while I was still at uni and so and, and because there was no constraints in what we could do on the course I was allowed to turn in my professional work as student work so I was getting like credit for it but also doing it and getting paid and getting stuff out in the Guardian and in the Telegraph and the yeah. Economist and then I started working as well for a Northern Irish magazine called AU, which is, and I, I it basically at the time I had a, a Northern Irish boyfriend who knew these people who did this music and arts and culture magazine, and he just sent an email to them being like, my girlfriend's a great illustrator, you should hire her. <laughs> and it was sort of a bunch of stuff like this around that time. Yeah. And duly turning it all in for coursework. So by the time I was done, I had started to get like a pretty st a steady stream of clients. And then I just kept doing it. I, I spent the year, after I finished my BA, um, I broke up with that boyfriend, so I just fucked off to Canada for a year okay. <laughs> and like yeah. lived on people's couches. But like as you were talking about earlier, because you're freelancing, you can do it from anywhere. So I kept working for all the same people, just doing it from people's couches in Canada, and uh, then went back to London a year later and continued to do that. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, kept building it up and building up more clients. And then after two years, went back and did a master's degree. Um, Partially because I wanted to do a master's degree, but mostly because I needed to stay in the country somehow. And I needed, wow, yeah. okay. Interesting. I love <laughs> um, it. But also through that, yeah. continued to do the same thing and build more clients and turn it in as coursework. And that was also really helpful being there um, because I learned that the course forced me and forced all of us there to go outside of our comfort zone and to do things that we didn't know how to do. So I started doing more like animation and um, okay. like working with an experiential design and stuff like yeah. that. That's really interesting because... Um, 
I was, you know, before I was going to say, like, you know, it, it seems unusual that someone who's gone out and got clients and is working in industry to come back and do a master's degree. But often I do, I look and I think, brilliant if I could just have a year, a year to go back in the studios and appreciate them like I didn't when I was in uni, because you take it for granted when maybe when you're on that path. Yeah. Um, but to go back and do that and kind of expand a little bit. Has that been a benefit now? And, and I'm jumping forward a little bit. And we'll go back to how you started with Buzzfeed and stuff. But they, you've started. There and there's moving image within your portfolio now. Yeah. You know, gifts, Loads. whether it's gifts or yeah. simple moving. Was that partly down to that experience? Completely. I didn't do. I think before I did my masters, I had maybe once tried to make something move, and it looked awful. And I think I basically changed the colors on an acrylic. I, I scanned an acrylic painting that I did and messed with the colors in Photoshop, and then... <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> as you do. I mean, and also when I was doing the masters, like the first ones were basically that as well. I was like, I'm just going to erase this line, and now that's a new frame, because yeah. that line isn't there anymore. And I'll change the hue and saturation, and now that's another frame. And now I'll figure out how to add in sound, and then like do something in GarageBand. <laughs> like Brilliant. <laughs> layer, like eight layers of audio in GarageBand, because it's experimental, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was basically that because uh, the the tutors there were like, we get that you're an illustrator, we get that you're a good illustrator, brilliant, well done. Why are you here? And because yeah. well, I needed to stay in the country wasn't a valid answer. No, they're not really going to go for that. Are they? <laughs> no. So <laughs> so they were like, why are you here? You need to start experimenting with stuff. So I started doing lots of animation, and the way that I became more or less proficient in the kind of animation that I do now is I spent this very weird five months in which I wasn't sleeping very much. Um, working on a project which was for a friend's band but it was like professional work I was getting paid for it yeah. um, but I was also turning it in as coursework so I spent five months doing this frame animation of like a five minute and 15 second animated music video and I animated like each frame wow. <laughs> that's a lot of work yeah on my on my like MacBook that had more or less stopped functioning appropriately like the year before that so it just took ages I had to do the whole thing and like five to second, five to ten second chunks, and then piece it together at the end because it couldn't open a PSD file that was any. Right. And I and I do the animation in Photoshop as well because that's more intuitive for me rather than doing it in, say After Effects. On the timeline type kind of function. Yeah, and, and After Effects has that timeline as well, but it's more it's vector based, so it's you know easier to pick up if you're someone who's who prefers to use Illustrator. Yeah. And so I can use After Effects, but I'm like way quicker and I can do a lot of the because I don't do that much 3D animation. I don't really do any 3D animation. It's all 2D, so you can yeah. do really whatever you need within Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. So, how long did you do that for freelancing? The which bit? Did you, did you continue to freelance after the master's degree? Barely for any time. So the master's lasted for two years, which is why I chose that course because I yeah. was like two-year visa and also time to <laughs> like, <laughs> time to like figure my shit out. Um, so that finished in two thousand and fourteen, yeah. and after that, I mean, I started at BuzzFeed exactly a year later. In the in between those in between the time where I finished the masters and I started at BuzzFeed, I did continue freelancing. Um, I was kind of back and forth between the U.S. and here a bit, you know, sort of sorting sort of sorting things out. I had a studio in Dalston uh, at the Print Club with a bunch of other wicked people, like yeah. a big shared space. That was really good. That was really important too because, um, as as everybody knows, art's super lonely, yeah. and so I think I lasted like like two weeks of trying to work at home at that point before I just thought, again, for mental health, this is not happening. It's not good, is it? Yeah. Not, not for some people. I, I, can't, I hate it. I can't do it anymore. I yeah. did it for a long time and I just can't do it. There's no cut off between life 
exactly. what I'm doing creatively. Yeah, and if you're a workaholic, man, you'll never stop. Yeah. Like, and so that was one of the good things about this, well, arguably good things about the studio as well, is it closed at 11.30 p.m. And after that, they had CCTV, and like the owners, if they saw you on the CCTV, like I'd get a phone call, and they'd literally be like, we see you, Rebecca. Because <laughs> 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 I would be the last person there every single night. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. like they knew, and they were not happy about that at all, because apparently they would get charged extra for insurance or something if someone stayed like five minutes late. Whatever. <laughs> um, so I was doing that and I was freelancing, I was taking everything and like actively looking for anything I could get. I would go on Twitter and like put in the search terms like looking illustrator job, looking illustrator for really? yeah, like I would do and I just took everything, everything and then um, and then in when did Charlie when Charlie Hebdo happened, that's sort of when things started to change a bit because I did a cartoon response to that. Um, like many people did at that time. But I didn't do it with any thought other than, like, this is the worst. <laughs> this feels awful that, they, that this happened to these cartoonists, yeah. these illustrators. And so I made this cartoon in response just so I could, like, stop crying, basically, and posted it online. And it got, it got picked up a bit, it got shared a bit. And then a little bit later down the road, um, I, I basically got, on the back of that, got put in touch with a cartoon syndicate in the U.S. called Universal U-Click um, through someone I know and they showed them my work, they showed them that and they said would you like to try doing political cartooning and I said yeah sure um, and they said well then can you send us some test political cartoons about just whatever you want, whatever's going on right now write and illustrate three cartoons and I did that and then they signed me and okay. so then I started doing uh, the, the deal with them was that I would do at least one political cartoon a week based on whatever was happening then. And I did that up until when I started at BuzzFeed because I, I was doing it for them. And then, so do, do you know how a cartoon syndicate works in the US? No. So basically, they're, they're kind of like an agency. They're uh, loosely, very loosely. You know, you make work for them and they will pay you a small amount for doing it and then they will help get it out there. They have it on their platforms and then people, other publications can pick it up from there and it gets distributed. So maybe it would get picked up by Politico or it would get picked up, you know, by the Washington Post okay, or something right, like that. That's good um, and so, and, yeah, and so it's, it's like syndication in any other way, but I think here you have syndication often through publications. So like The Guardian will syndicate. I, I don't actually know how it works here that much. It reminds me, I had a guy on the show recently who was a photographer at Arsenal um, Football Club and they, and they out they get their stuff on Getty. Yeah. I guess in, in a sense maybe it's maybe it's like that. Maybe. But in, a, but in a more direct manner, in a, in a more direct way to publications. I, I think so because I don't I know Getty has lots of different subscription services and ways that you can pick up the images that people produce yeah. in there and I'm not I don't actually know anything about how Getty works. It might work similar to that. Um, does Getty pay people to make the stuff as well? No, I don't think so. I yeah. think it's, it's on there and then it's paid on a royalty basis, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Yeah. yeah, so this has the royalties, but then you also produce it for the syndicate and yeah. they you know, they promote you and stuff. So they okay, do act right. in a way, cause it's like a crossover between, I suppose, a Getty and an agency. Yeah. And they're lovely. I finally, yeah, I got to go out and meet uh, the guy who runs the syndicate at some point, I think about a year and a half ago, and he was absolutely lovely. But, um, and so I got... Through that, then the cartoon started, it got picked up by a place called Daily Coast, which is like a, a big left-wing American political website. Oh, yeah. And I started doing, a, I would do the cartoon for the syndicate, but also it would get published on Daily Coast and I'd get to write a little editorial alongside it about whatever I thought about politics, nice. which is great. Nice. Um, that was... 
that was such a cool opportunity. I got it because a, a political cartoonist in the U.S. called Matt Worker, who is this amazing political cartoonist. He's been doing just brilliant stuff for years. Has a fucking Pulitzer. Um, left his spot at Daily Coast because he was trying to like pare down what you know he was doing, and he already had this. He has a staff illustration and cartooning job at Politico, and so he was leaving Daily Coast and needed to find someone to fill his spot. And he recommended to them that I take his spot from him. Okay. So like wow. no pressure. Very cool. <laughs> um, and I stayed there until I started at BuzzFeed basically because when I started there they had a, a policy against partisan political commentary oh. which they are loosening up a little bit on now but I don't actually know how much I can talk about <laughs> um, so I had to stop doing it when I went there yeah yeah okay so well well, well that brings up to now then at least your current role so what is your current role BuzzFeed I am an illustrator and designer I cover nine countries I'm based in the UK office, and I go in every morning at 10 a.m. and, in theory, leave at 6, but I'm quite bad at that. Um, and just draw the pictures for editorial work, for articles, whether it's news articles or whether it's the, like, listicle-type thing, so-called listicles, um, or whether it's distribution content for social media or, you know, if a video needs some animation work on it or something, we're starting to get more of that in now as they expand more into video. Basically, just drawing shit for BuzzFeed all day <laughs> for not like non-American BuzzFeed. I'm always very interested in in, in house illustration roles because they're quite a rare thing, as I'm sure, yeah. as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Well, I walked into this one. This was a complete like I was not looking for in-house work because, like every other illustrator on the planet, thought that it didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this was like this has never been in my dream arsenal of like things I might be able to do with my life. This is like I don't know what happened. I, I had written in 2015, had done a set of illustrations. Um, about the British election when we had the general election in May and I'm just obsessive about politics obviously I became a political cartoonist but I am equally at point I'm probably more obsessive about American politics but also pretty obsessive about British ones in a way so when the election was happening I decided I wanted to do an illustration of all of the party leaders from that election and then ended up as I was illustrating them having a bunch of just ideas of shit that I should write down as well and somehow it turned into this kind of vaguely funny explainer about the British election to, to people who didn't know, yeah. like Americans. Um, and I ended up with this thing and showed it to my cartoons that I get and they were like, brilliant, but this is neither American politics nor is it political cartooning. It's just like <laughs> politically inspired illustrations yeah. and some words on a piece of paper. Yeah. So they were like, cool, but we can't use this. So I just sent it out to a bunch of places. I sent it to, you know, The Vice and The Guardian and to, to Politico and to BuzzFeed. And Politico published it, which was great. BuzzFeed wrote back and said, this isn't really what we do. We won't publish this. We don't do this kind of stuff. But we do have a job going for a staff illustrator. Would you, would you like to work here? And that's how that happened. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that, well that's probably the best lesson I've had on this show so far for why you should just send your stuff out that speculative. Yeah. To news, to creative journals, to whatever it is, because I've, that is, that's one of a number of great stories I know of, just right place, right time. But it's not an accident. You've put the effort in, you've sent it out there, and you believed in it. Yeah, yeah, and you and you do have to be a bit annoying as well when you do it because it was like to get in touch with these people, like to go to BuzzFeed. I, I, you know, I went. I knew that I knew two people who like had contacts at BuzzFeed, so I, you know, shamelessly went onto like Facebook Messenger and was like, "Hey guys, like, hey Kieran, hey Andy, <laughs> like, I've done this thing. Do you think maybe you could like send it to the people you know at BuzzFeed for me?" <laughs> I, you've got to do that. I'm, not, yeah. I'm, like, I'm a bit of a master of. Uh, 
maybe even a Jedi of like beg, steal, or borrow mentality. Shit. Yeah, you've got to be That's intimidating. You've got to be. <laughs> you really do, though, because that is that is absolutely true. It is one of those jobs that everybody who is trying to do it really, really wants. And there's a lot of people who are good at it, yeah. and it's really hard to be the best at it. Like yeah. I am so far from being the best at it, it's hilarious. Also, I don't think there's such a thing because it's also subjective it's and, true. and opinion based. Therefore, the drive and, and the, the cheeky little bastard that we've all got inside yeah. of us. <laughs> It's the people who can drag that out and put it in front yeah, of people. Yeah, the ones who have shamelessly repurposed their personal Facebook to just be a place where they've posted art for the last several years. I'm naming no names. <laughs> yeah, completely on board. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, big question, do you enjoy it? You must, you've must. got to love it. Yeah. It sounds like quite an intense role, so you must love it. Yeah, I really do. I think like with any job, it has its ups and downs, and I'm certainly an easily frustrated person, and so I have my days, but... When I step back even for a second and look at what I'm doing, it, obviously I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly grateful to be drawing all day for a living and to have someone to pay me to do it and to work on some of the projects I get to work on. Like the writers, some of the writers I work with are so talented and I've gotten to illustrate some articles that I'm so honored to be a part of. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> do you get um, do you get much creative license in the sense that do you, if you have an idea, if you've got the freedom to pursue that, yeah. or are you always working to an editorial existing piece? Uh, I see what you mean. Um, I'm usually working to an editorial existing piece. Uh, within that, I have quite a lot of freedom. The way that we've set up the system. So now, at, at the beginning, I was covering these nine countries on my own, and then another illustrator who was already there but wasn't really working, um, like specifically on editorial. She was working on like a smaller team moved over to help me and we became a team and then doing that together and in November we got an actual real live art director. Wow. BuzzFeed's getting serious. That's cool. <laughs> um, so now, th so we have this email system where people from those countries and even from our own office will email in and email their articles and then we'll just come up with something on the back of that. Okay. Have more or less creative freedom to illustrate those articles with whatever we see fit. Yeah. As far as just making my own stuff or making our own stuff, sometimes. Um, now that they're trying out, thank you. Um, now that they're trying out this sort of political satire experiment, um, I am—I finally got to make my first political cartoon in a long time last week, um, which is a little bit rusty. And also, I'm not a particularly viral cartoonist, so like, I don't know how well I work in this particular environment. But I really enjoyed it, so I'm hoping to be able to continue to do that more, which is writing and illustrating. Yeah. I've written a couple of articles which is great I am hoping to do more of that as well but you know there's not and, and, and then sometimes if you want to do distribution content if you want to like make an illustration for social media you can come up with the idea on your own and do whatever you like okay, but cool. it, it's really cool but because there's so much um, editorial requests coming in there's not usually that much time to do that yeah. Yeah. yeah and even the political cartoon like I had plans to do a second one this week but now I think I'm booked up to the end of the week yeah. with assignments so I think I'll have to wait till next week to do another one yeah. if they'll have me back after my like shockingly unviral first cartoon about healthcare in America <laughs> shockingly unviral I like that <laughs> it's like nice I'm like, I'll, I'll be like this is going to be a great cartoon like you know isn't it awful how Paul Ryan is like really taking advantage of his position and really fucking over the poor in America with healthcare and it's like 10 likes <laughs> like, I should have just drawn I should have just drawn Donald Trump with like a silly hair yeah but every other everyone's doing that you know yeah no the people the other people who are working on that page are incredibly clever and do they manage to do stuff that is both politically clever yeah. and viral <laughs> which is an art that I I could yeah learn yeah. from them a bit it sounds like a company where you're uh, where you're appreciated I mean I'm going by 
Okay, so yeah, to be honest, yeah, both parameters sound healthy in terms of it's great to have those briefs and such content coming through. And let's face it, we're living in politically thorny times, to say the least. Um, is your role, is it appreciated in the company, do you feel? Ooh, that's a good question. I think by, by, I think so. That's a really hard thing to gauge, isn't it? Because it's hard to know how other people feel about you and what you do. Yeah. I have an amazing boss, this new art director. I have a really wonderful team that I work alongside. I know that they appreciate me and I appreciate them. Yeah. I know that that's there. Um, and that, that feels really good. Yeah. yeah, and I am. I mean, I, I hope so. I hope it's appreciated. Yeah. It's it's weird being an artist in a, in a company full of writers. Yeah. Because everybody else who works there are well. There's people who work in tech and HR and PR and stuff like that. But the other people who are creating the so-called content are writers. And so yeah. it's you know you're you're definitely a minority within. Yeah. This but larger I mean, the culture. Fact they've got an art director in there now, and they've got full-time oh, illustrators. Really? Yeah. That it is a fa- it causes a value thing, you know. Yeah. It's, it's great, strong imagery at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I think it saves the money as well because if you had to freelance out all of the illustrate because they publish so much yeah. and because we can work really quickly. So if you can do a few illustrations a day. Because um, you know, sometimes you'll be like, "Should I really be here? Do I deserve to yeah. be here? Like, maybe, maybe I should be like paid way less or so. Not, no, I, mean, I shouldn't. But like, you know, you're just wondering if you're <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. worth anything. And then you actually do the math of how much they'd having on, on a very practical yeah. level, how much they'd be paying freelancers to do this. And you're like, actually, this does make sense for them, even just on a basic business level. Yeah, yeah. So, without going in too deep. Like I said, it's politically charged at the moment. And you mentioned American politics. Yeah. Have you been given a good venting space for any <laughs> negative things you might feel? I'm guessing now, but no, I mean, it's an educated guess. No. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, BuzzFeed chooses to remain nonpartisan because that's a better way as a journalistic company to, to run yourself. You have more access, you're more, if you're not seen to have an agenda, if you don't have an agenda, then it gives more credence to the journalism that you do. Um, And it's hard when you have people on staff who even if they do want to do satire or something that, you know, for for it to be seen as being separate from the company, I guess. But, the, you know, I think that, we'll, like, we'll see how this experiment goes that they're running right now and if there is space for that. Because you certainly can have um, unaligned journalism companies or publications where they still have people who will make comments every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, I can't like run out in the street and start, I mean, I could actually, that's probably one thing I could do. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have, um, do you get much backlash? Do you get, do you ever get any comeback from A, the people featured in your illustrations and B, the the readers? Not really, because we don't do that many like smackdown. So there's not that many times in which you've illustrated someone in a, a, a specific person in a bad light. Yeah. And often if you're doing something that is darker or more, um, it is kind of like punching a bit in one direction, mm-hmm. then you would probably not draw the... I haven't... I'm trying to think of something where I've had to draw somebody in a negative... when they've been portrayed negatively. Outside of, outside of like politics, that doesn't really happen. No. Like, for instance, you know, there is an article where one of our writers wrote about the implications for the, the Balkans, um, or the, the Brexit implications on the Balkans. And yep. so you end up drawing, like, Erdogan and this, this leader of Yusek and, um, and Merkel and, who is the other one, Putin sitting at a table, yeah. like, 
playing a game. Oh, of, I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. And then like they're so they're playing Risk on the table, and then Theresa May's in the background like sulking away, <laughs> getting into her black cab with like her Union Jack suitcase next to her. <laughs> and like I guess that's not particularly complimentary of Theresa May, but like she's not going to complain. Yeah. But all the same, it's <laughs> not vulgar. It's not. No, a, it's not a direct assault on her personality. No. It's just they must be pretty used to this stuff. It's been going on for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and and like I said, there isn't that much like there there aren't that many hit jobs happening because because the company doesn't really take a slant on a lot of things even when it even when they say do an article and they'll be like this celebrity was getting it's usually celebrity stuff they'll be like this celebrity was getting dragged because they said a thing on Twitter that could possibly be interpreted as being the wrong thing that nobody should ever say because it's politically incorrect or something the article that the company puts out will never be like this person was wrong it'll just be like here's 10 tweets of people who say that this person is wrong objective positioning that. I yeah. think it's the way forward. I, I gravitate towards publications that, that lead with that. Yeah. Like you said, agenda is unhealthy because there's, you just don't trust it. Yeah. You know, so I think it's good that uh, it is kind of objective and it's and it's and I think it's smarter as well. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's a more intelligent way to do it. Absolutely. Know? And then and nobody the viewer decides. Exactly. People people are smart. Some of them, a lot of them, yeah. like at least you know, two of them maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are. They can figure out for themselves, and, yeah. and people really don't like being pandered to, or yeah. being like talked down to, or explained what they should think. Of. Yeah. yeah. How's the role been for your um, your personal profile as an illustrator? I, I mean, pro- I, it must be good, right? I think I, I. It's hard to say because I don't I don't like seek out freelance work right now because I don't really have time so if it comes in and it's a really interesting job I'll take it yeah um, but pretty rarely like it has to be a really interesting yeah. job because at some point you're just losing sleep I mean you, you literally have to lose sleep to do freelance work <laughs> yeah. and I'm like so when cool jobs come through I, I won't sleep for a few days yeah which I'm totally fine with if it's the right job yeah um, so it's kind of like hard to say in that way because I haven't really tested the waters um, but I, I think some pretty cool stuff has happened off the back of it. Like, I mean, I. Uh, yeah, no, I really don't know. Actually, I would think I would think probably yeah. it's heightened. It's kind of good that you don't. Yeah. Yeah, but you seem quite nonchalant about that. That's probably a good thing because you focus on what you're doing and you're not running around outside of it doing mad hours on other stuff you know yeah well I did it first when I for the first few months that I was there particularly not just other stuff but I was just working really long hours for, for BuzzFeed because I wasn't used to the idea of having like an end of the day yeah and so I was doing that but I also felt like I should still be working so I'd like do BuzzFeed stuff until like yeah, 10 yeah, but then I would yeah. do freelance stuff as well and I would just keep on working <laughs> and it, it, it was fine I didn't actually feel any like real negative impact from it but it seemed like not the right thing to do yeah. I was like I should experiment with having a life yeah. not doing this <laughs> experiment with having a life because you don't I love like, that when you're like a young freelancer you don't have a life <laughs> no you don't you work seven not days a week all. for like 12 to 16 hours yeah. only now am I starting to sort of see it as a separate thing and that's yeah. not that's no indictment on my creative uh, my love of what I do I love it more than I ever have but it's just that I know that it benefits from stepping back a little bit as well yeah. and my life benefits from stepping yeah. back from my career and, and it just complements it do you ever just find yourself saying like mantras like nobody ever regretted um, spending too much time with their friends on their deathbed. <laughs> oh, massively. I have to convince myself <laughs> yeah. not to feel guilty if I'm leaving the studio at a certain time or if I'm meeting some other coffee. I'm thinking that's all a part of it. You're, as we said about walking the streets, you're always yeah. feeling the subconscious, you know? Once you learn to see it laterally and think about that, I think it gets a lot easier. Yeah. But still have to talk myself down. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. And when you're really into something as well, I mean, the fact that it's your hobby as well as your job doesn't always yeah. help stopping. God, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs>
<laughs> so did you, in terms of your style, how do you did you arrive at Buzzfeed with the with the sort of illustrated style that you have now? And did you have to, to compromise that in any way, given time constraints? Uh, it's it's slightly compromised. So I think that the style I'm working in, it's, it's hard to say what style I'm working in now because because I do this every day and I do so many illustrations a day. At some point, I'm not sure when, probably well, sometime within the last year, I just got bored of doing the style that I was doing naturally yeah. and started experimenting with different styles. So now I think that the stuff I do probably has a certain visual identity to it in a way, but I've also got like 10 different styles at the moment that I switch between based on what seems okay. appropriate yeah. and because I don't want them, I don't want like the company or the readers to get bored of seeing the same kind of illustrations as yeah. well, so I'll like mix it up, so I'll do like something that's slightly cartoony and then something that's like super realistic and then something that's really bleak and dark and has loads of splatters and then yeah. and try, so... It's a healthy approach. Yeah, well probably just as, as, in as much as it's bad to get bored and yeah, you don't want other people to get bored either. but. Um, yeah, it was a, it was so purely by repet because of repetition and because of time constraint. The time time made it get a lot more simplified. Before I started there, I was probably more precious about the way the finished artwork looked, and I would add loads of detail in because I love detail and just wanted there to be shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, I like that style, and when I'm not working on a deadline, that still happens. <laughs> yeah. Every single time, but for the sake of this, um, when you need to turn stuff around quickly, yeah, it gets like really simplified down. Yeah. And what about highlights? Just my one of my personal highlights was the Jeremy Corbyn um, <laughs> People's Dreams series. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was really fun. That was like one of my first projects when I started there. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Whose idea was that? Where did that it even was, come from? It wasn't. It was not my idea. I'll tell you that. That's why. That's why my colleague Jim Watterson, give credit to Jim, who was a political reporter there, um, has a byline on that piece as well. If you go into it, like. There's my byline, and just and you're like sort of inexplicably then Jim's byline as well next to you. Like, what did he do? Well, it's his idea, and he sourced the tweets. Um, and did you then, go looking for them, or did you invite them? No, they were just there, and wow. he, so he had had this idea. So these dreams were just happening organically, yes. and you went and found them. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Jim found them. So Jim, so because you know Jim is a political reporter and therefore a political nerd, and so he'd had these things, and then Buzzfeed hired an illustrator. He was like, right, so I've got this idea because I've I found all these tweets, Fantastic. and you know, would you like to do this? And I was like, I would absolutely love to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was. I mean, that was that was a highlight, probably just because it crossed over. It's like all the. It's my hobbies. It's drawing and and politics and it's funny it's yeah. <laughs> um that was really fun and then on the complete flip side of that i i, I really liked i didn't li like is the wrong word i was very pleased to be involved with this article where one of the reporters called patrick strudwick who is an amazing writer like just mind-blowingly good at writing he does a lot of long-form stuff and he's our lgbt editor he was covering a court case about historical childhood sex abuse um, from the 70s and the trial happened really recently it was the trial of this teacher who taught at St. Paul's school which is like this posh school that like George Osborne went to yeah. um, and for the article is so the article followed one of the witnesses who was testifying um, in front of this teacher that he hadn't seen for years and had caused obviously all this horror in his life he was one of like, nearly a dozen people that were giving evidence against him. But he obviously didn't want to be named or featured by image in the article. Um, so I illustrated this piece um, and did like a series of five really bleak, um, pencil, charcoal-y looking illustrations for it. One of which involved going to court and watching him give evidence and sitting in on this trial for several hours. And because you can't, you can't draw in a courtroom in the UK, 
unlike in the U.S., and you can't take pictures either. So I went to just go memorize the room, basically, and to memorize what was happening. And that, I think because of that, I'm not often, I don't often need to go on location to get involved with the project mm. on editorial. There's only been, I think, one other time where I had to, I, I went and attended the interview, mostly just because I wanted to meet the person. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I need to totally be here. Like, it's really necessary that I'm here. <laughs> um, I really didn't need to be there. <laughs> don't tell them. Um, but but because of that, I felt really involved with it, and it was like a really harrowing thing to sit through and to experience, and I felt really emotionally invested in this project after that, and I think that the illustrations became better because of that, because I felt like I had to do right by this man and his story and the beautiful writing that told it. So that was another big highlight. It's like the total opposite end of the Corbin, yes. um, like smelling bad cheese and teaching <laughs> algebra with cricket ball spectrum. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Uh, you, so you, you mentioned... I know you were on Sky recently and got told off the square and that. <laughs> I watched that today. It made me laugh. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know. How is, how is that a bad word? <laughs> you said, what would you say? Piss, pisses off or pissed off, I think you said. And, yeah. I, was like, and I was like, Because <laughs> the guy was like, you seemed scrambling to like jump in and be like, we apologise for the bad language. Yeah? <laughs> Sorry about the vulgar American. <laughs> and I was saying, it's just one of those, it's one of those words that if you're not from this country yeah. no matter how long you live here you'll never learn it's a bad word because no one will ever tell you off for saying it because it's such a mild bad word yeah. so I've never been in any situation at work or at uni or with my friends or just anywhere where I said pissed off and someone was like just in case you know you were wondering if you're ever in front of someone who's probably above a certain age or if you ever happen to be on TV just don't say that word <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the issue I mean the, the topic was all about you know how far is too far in, in respect to like media. I guess Donald Trump at the time of yeah. media, but but not not so much going down that road because I know where I stand on the issue. But I was, how do you feel about the power of, of visual communication now in the era that we live in the digital era? Because I think it's huge, and I think we've got a huge role to play as creative professionals moving forward, spreading the right message. I completely agree. I think it's been really interesting to watch what's happened with visual communication and with illustration and. Um, the, the way it's been used particularly in the last 10 years or so because I think if you were to go back just after 10 years ago maybe if you were to go back like 8 years ago or 9 years ago ten, yeah about 10 years ago and you were to to talk to a lot of people in the industry they would say like it's a dying industry you should probably start looking into something else because print is dying and like hadn't quite conceptualized how powerful images on the internet would become and that's happened in stages as well like you know first the internet just got generally better at hosting images and so you know they started to have more of a place within websites and editorial and stuff but then also I think particularly after something like Charlie Hebdo there was another renaissance of cartoons and of that kind of expression of visual expression and then that's gained its own life because yeah. of that and it's it's amazing because you wouldn't have seen it 10 years ago 10 years ago you would have just believed illustration was dying and you either had to learn how to animate or yeah. you know learn how to d use InDesign and do like basic graphics because illustration was just not going to live anymore that's, that's thriving I, I think it's thriving it's, it's I really so do. thriving exciting yeah. place to be it's like it's so cool yeah. it's so cool I mean like fucking people <laughs> use emojis instead of language now like yeah. people communicate with bloody illustration <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah it's amazing and I know friends going into working on film and set design and mm. all sorts like your role is too you know it's that's something that people would maybe wouldn't have envisioned 10 years ago either yeah you know, oh my god dream job that guy though like think of like the set the, the like production design for things like um, like the Wes Anderson films that would be such a dream job <laughs> 
uh, Annie Atkins is the lady who, does, who did the Grand Budapest Hotel. Really? Yeah, and she, she runs a course on film production design. Wow. And she did, actually, speaking of Donald Trump, she did the, the, the most fantastic piece of marketing. So she runs this weekend workshop course on film movie production design. And she sent an image of Donald Trump, and I forget what it said, but he pointed at like a stack of folders, and he was like, and every one of those folders is a case where some bullshit. <laughs> but she flagged up the fact that none of those manila envelopes had been touched, and she was like, I can tell you exactly why on my course, and I can teach you how to make them look touched. <laughs> and then she was like, This is why you should sign up for my workshop. And I was like, Don't be Donald Trump, sign up for my workshop. <laughs> yeah, such a smart way to, to, to do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Really you too could be president. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can be smarter than the president, which <laughs> basically now means you can just be president. Make your folders look convincingly yeah. used. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Very useful skill. Oh, so where do you see it going? You have people's feet staying around, and, and you got what's you got ambitions outside of it? Yeah, I'll be there for a while. Yeah. Like, who can say? You know, yeah, of I don't. Course, yeah. I have no idea because everything, like everything that's ever happened to me professionally and in life, that's been a good thing or a productive thing, has just happened because like some random choice that I made one day that seemed slightly intimidating but the right thing to do or something yeah. that like some phone call that came through there's been a lot of just like random phone calls or emails that came in and they just changed everything yeah. or something and so I, I don't like yes short answer is yes I'll be yeah. there for, for quite some time I think but 10 years from now I don't know who knows none yeah. of us know especially in this industry yeah I mean we might all be dead after a mushroom cloud in 10 years so well, there is true. that as well and, and the industry <laughs> As a listener to the show, I'm sure you know about the Shark in the Tank section of the oh, yeah, but for a love and a hate. It's very loosely within the creative <laughs> industries, but wide open. I know that you do that, and I completely... Yeah, people always oh. forget, but I like it because it's, it's a better on the spot question. Okay, a like and a hate. A love and hate. I... I know that you can edit out a big silence. So yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, don't worry about that. Um, oh, I love... Okay, I'll say... I'll say walk, walking around, like the, the city walking around. I love what I talked about at the beginning, just, um, oh no, that's too, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I love colors, man. Yeah. I love them so much. <laughs> I just can't get enough of them. Um, probably colors and walking around. Colors and walking around, Fuck. good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, hate, I... I don't really hate anything. I mean, you know, I, I, I hate, like, unspecific briefs. I hate getting requests at work that are just like, I'm doing an article about the NHS, do you have any ideas? <laughs> what a shit brief. It is a yeah. shit brief, but you have no idea how much that kind of thing comes through. I've written a piece about Parliament. Do you have any ideas? Brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, unspecific briefs are my hate and my love. Is walking in colours. Good answers, <laughs> brilliant. And, uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> I think I, I love it. I love it when people get flustered on this question. I love it. it's good. <laughs> well, I'm, really, I'm really bad at all kinds of questions like that. Like, um, anything binary, anything where it's like, yeah. are you a cat or a dog person, or like, yeah, what's yeah, your yeah, favourite yeah. colour? I'm like, how do you expect me to choose a colour? This is why I try and avoid those so sorts of questions because <laughs> it's just people. That's when people panic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you feel like you have to get it right, you know? Yeah. Because I think it's really easy to think of loads of things that you love and a bunch of things that maybe kind of annoy you. But when you have to boil it down to one, yeah. it gets really hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and lastly, where can people find your work? Um, Obviously well, BuzzFeed. But. Uh, yes. On, on BuzzFeed, although it's hard to search because there's not a searchable function for the illustrations. Yeah. So whereas if you're a writer, anything that's bylined to you 
will go at like buzzfeed.com slash your name. If you were to go to buzzfeed.com slash my name, there'd be like maybe 15 articles. Because there's been like four that I've written yeah. and then the rest of them will be one where it was really illustration heavy and so the writer then chose to add a byline okay. for the illustration. But it is in no way representative yeah. of like really anything. Um, so I, I'm, I have a website. It's www.rebeccahendon.com and I also, I'm, I use Twitter a lot. So that's at Hendon Arts, H-E-N-D-I-N oh. Arts. And I have just started using Instagram more because I, I've had an Instagram since, I guess, you know, 2011 or 12. But I was posting, like, every three or four months. And then a few months ago, I was like, I've built up just within the last year and a half about 600 illustrations. Yeah. I should probably, and, and, and like my website is getting bogged down under the, the weight of trying to have all of them on there. And I don't yeah. even... I, I'm not sure how well loading it on mobile works anymore, but I'm like, I can't get rid of any. How am I supposed to edit this down? Um, so Instagram seemed like a really good idea to get more yeah. into. So now I'm posting, I'm posting like three or four times a day there now until I catch up with all the cool. illustrations I that like. I've... It's a good platform. Yeah. I, so, I like using Instagram. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's so very visual, it's simple. Super, yeah, it's great. And it's really great to follow other illustrators there as well. Yeah, a lot um, of material actually. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And you see a little bit more than just the finished stuff too. You know, you see like some people who are quite interested in how they use it. So, yeah. yeah. I've not quite gotten to like all the videos and the, and the live stuff yet. But oh, some that makes do. me really nervous. Yeah, me I don't use like Snapchat or Instagram no, stories no, or anything either. or enough Facebook I've Messenger drawn the line there. as well. No, I've drawn yeah. the line at putting a dog nose and ears on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. I feel Unless like I've missed been a, a lot trick. of booze. <laughs> yeah. And even then, it's for real. It's not like the stuff on the app. Yeah. 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 You just <laughs> you've met a dog and you've shaved its head and <laughs> added it to your own do. <laughs> See that I can get into. I can get into shaving dogs for aesthetic benefit. <laughs> Go back and change your love to shaving dogs. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. I am inspired by shaved dogs and I dislike bad briefs. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to me bang on. <laughs> thank you so much to Rebecca Hendon for taking the time to join me. Um, so, yeah, you know, as you gather, we were outdoors. We, we had to do this thing at a cafe. And I do apologise for any uh, invasive noise. It happens. It's, it's a constant bane of, of producing this show. But I like to think for any regular listeners, it's become a little bit of a running joke and... I don't think any of them have been too hard to listen to, have they? It's not been to the point where it's ruined the audio. I hope not. I really do. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I do check. I do have quality control on this show. So thanks again to Rebecca. Um, we've had some cool recent guests. Go back and check them out. Neil Bennett, editor of Digital Arts. Sir John Hegarty on the 75th episode, advertising the legend, telling you everything you need to know about creativity. Um, Marion Deschars coming up soon. Iconic illustrator, um, author. She's got some awesome books out with Lawrence King, who I mentioned earlier. We've got uh, Steve Johnson, fashion and lifestyle illustrator and regular listener of the show coming up, who's fantastic and got a, a real engaging story of his own. So please do get his thoughts on Twitter on anything, any show, anything you're doing that needs to be documented at Arrest All Mimics, and we'll consider it definitely. Stick us a review on iTunes, please, if you get the moment. They really do help um, to you know to sort of spread the love and, and share the word of what I'm trying to do with this show. Um, hopefully, trying to strengthen the creative industries. That's the overall idea. So get your thoughts over. Drop me a review on iTunes. If you're into the show, by the way, please do go and check out my book, Champagne and Wax Crayons. That's been out a little while now. I don't mention it enough. I'm always forgetting to plug the damn thing. But it was what started as a very angry freelancer down on his luck 
and snowballed into a book about, you know, brutally honest account of what it's like to try and transform your passions into a profession as a creative. So go and check it out. It's on Amazon. It's at various bookshops. It's at the bookseller Crow in Crystal Palace. Uh, it was at Tate Modern, I believe it still is. Uh, anyway, there you go. It's, it's, it's around. <laughs> Thanks again to my sponsors. Crucial. They keep the show free every week for you guys. Illustration Limited. That's at illustrationweb.com, Heart Internet. We're at heartinternet.co.uk. And printed.com, my personal and show printing sponsor. They're awesome. Thanks again, guys, for checking in. Please do go and spread the word. Like I said earlier, I've had many new people getting on board at Twitter and hitting us up. It's really exciting to see it keep growing. Um, it keeps me inspired to do it, so we've got loads of cool shows coming up. Um, thanks again. Enjoy your week. Stay creative. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys.